Testament scripture reading is from Exodus 12. Let's prepare our hearts to hear God's word. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by the service? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, increase in us the gifts of faith, hope, and charity. And so that we may obtain what you promise, make us love what you command. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Grace and peace be with you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Our sermon text for this evening comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 27, verses 7 to 21. And we'll read that in just a moment. Luke 22, verses 7 to 21. A couple of weeks ago, you recall that we looked at the doctrine of baptism And we wanted to answer the question, is baptism from above or from below? And as I worked through that, I tried to weave in a couple of weird and funny and sad stories about experiences I had had uh, with the sacrament of baptism over the course of my ministry. Well, this evening we're going to look at the, the doctrine of the Lord's Supper, and I want to do somewhat the same kind of thing. I've had a lot of interesting experiences over the years with uh, communion in various places, and I want to weave in a couple of those weird and funny and, and sad stories as well as we make our way through this story in the Gospel of Luke. 
One of the things I want you to be aware of as we make our way through this story in the Gospel of Luke is that Jesus and his disciples have spent a lot of time in the Gospel of Luke eating and drinking with a variety of people. So if you were to go back through the Gospel of Luke, you would see that there are many different tables scattered throughout the Gospel. And Jesus was eating with all kinds of people for a purpose. Those are missional tables, we might say. But he's trying to bring people to this liturgical table. And so finally, they come to the, uh, the table in the upper room. And you can just imagine after all that they have experienced over the last few days and few weeks, they finally have a chance just to get together, just the 13 of them, Jesus and his disciples. They have a chance to decompress, process what's been going on, kick back and rest a little bit. And Jesus even shares in some of that joy by saying, man, guys, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. And so this is a real turning point in the life and ministry of Jesus with his disciples. So I know there are many things that are familiar about this story. And so I want to pray as I recently heard a young man pray that the fog of familiarity will be lifted from us. And so that we can enter into this story again, perhaps even for the first time. If you are willing and able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I urge you with all your hearts to listen to the word of God. Luke 22, 7 to 21. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where would you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters until the master of the house. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of his word. And all the church says, you may be seated.
Several years ago, as you know, my family and I lived in South Mexico. We were doing mission work in the city of Oaxaca. Shannon was responsible for a period of time for making the communion bread that we used each week. She made the bread then very much like all of you ladies are making it now. Similar recipe. Some men in the church began to complain that the bread had too much flavor. It had too much substance. They didn't like it. They wanted to go back to this really crisp kind of tortilla that they were using. And so Shannon's responsibilities were taken away from her and given to someone else. And one morning we show up and we look at the bread and it's a dark brown. It looks as if it's been overcooked. We get to the time of communion and as the plates are being passed around the room, little metal plates throughout the sanctuary, we hear ping, 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 as people are snapping off pieces of this dark brown overcooked bread. At the end of service, my family and I were going out to eat with our dear friend, Sean Daniel, who many of you know. And along the way, Sean, in his own innocent way, said to me or to our family, I'm confused. I know I don't speak Spanish very well, but I always thought Jesus was crucified, not burned at the stake, as he made reference to that overcooked bread. It was a classic example of how oftentimes in the Christian church, we miss the point of what communion is because we focus on the ingredients or the externals of the thing and don't understand the sign and seal of the supper. As I mentioned to you a few moments ago, Jesus has been conducting his ministry in such a way that tables became a very big part of his ministry. And so if you read Luke's gospel, you see Jesus using all of these little ordinary tables to lead people up to this big, extraordinary table where his heart has desired to commune with his people for a long time. And finally, they are there. In his delightful book, A Meal with Jesus, Tim Chester poses a thought question for our consideration. I'll put it to you now. How would you complete the sentence, the Son of Man came? How would you finish that? The Son of Man came. Chester points out that there are three ways in the Gospels that this sentence is completed. The Son of Man came. One, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Two, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And three, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Eating and drinking. All three of these statements come together when we contemplate the meaning and purpose, not only of the little tables in Jesus's ministry, but now the big table that we find in Luke 22. One commentator says that in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, reclining at a meal or coming from a meal. Jesus ate and drank with all kinds of people. Insiders and outsiders, sinners and followers. He ate and drank so much so often that his critics actually called him a glutton and a drunkard. He was neither of those things. But from their point of view, that's what he appeared to be. 
But I want you to know that Jesus's eating and drinking had deep missional and liturgical purposes. And the missional purposes can, see, can be seen in the way Jesus ate with Pharisees and tax collectors and men and women, young and old. He ate in homes and out in fields. He ate on beaches and in upper rooms. He ate all these different places because he's trying to get into the nook and cranny of life. And that's where the people were. We also find the liturgical purpose as it's seen in Luke 22, where Jesus establishes and institutes the Lord's Supper. You find it again in Luke 24, where the risen Lord Jesus Christ reveals himself through the breaking of bread as he eats with two disciples in a little place called Emmaus. And so what you find in all of this is the festive spirit of Jubilee is coming out in the table fellowship of Jesus and all of this feasting and fellowship around tables. The spirit of Jubilee is at work. There's a rhyme and reason for all of these things. Again, the little tables that Jesus used through his ministry are missional tables, but the big table is liturgical and they're not at odds with each other. Jesus uses the one to get people to the other. In my experience in the Christian church and through years of ministry, often that was flipped around. We tried to begin with the big liturgical table and then go out and try to bring people to this big table without sitting down with them at their tables or bringing them to ours. But we see in Jesus's life and ministry, it's the other way around. Go out where the people are, eat with them, drink coffee with them, enjoy a meal with them. Spend some time out where they are. And then as you develop that relationship and friendship around the gospel, little by little, they can use these small tables as stepping stones to the big table. It bridges the gap between here and there. And we find this at work in the life of Jesus. And so those ordinary tables that you have at home are very important. Those ordinary tables at your house and at McDonald's and Starbucks and the other places you like to eat. Those places should be seen as extensions of this extraordinary table. You're bringing the life of Christ to bear on the world. Now, tables are important because they are the places where some of the most important things in our lives happen. Right. They're the places where we sign contracts and we talk about life issues and we pay our bills It's where we talk to our kids about the remains of the day. It's where we sit and think long into the night, where we sip coffee while it's raining in the afternoon. But tables are also a place where we gather to eat and drink with family and friends. It's where we get our feet all together under the same structure so that we can break bread and share life together. We've come together on this Lord's Day to eat and drink at the Lord's table. We've come to this table where Christ has established and instituted a supper as a new covenant meal. I want you to think about all that Jesus and his disciples have been through up to this point and all of the walking and talking and debating all of the threats, all of the danger they have avoided for the last few weeks. And now they're finally together. I hope that you feel like they do. I hope you feel like this is a place of refuge And that you've come and there's a sense of relief and release. I hope you sense the spirit of jubilee at work. Maybe you're not the happiest you've ever been, but at least you know you're in a safe place. Christ has invited you to come to this table so he can take care of you. 
In this institution of the Lord's Supper, Jesus takes ordinary bread, but then he does something extraordinary with it. He says this ordinary bread, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he takes a cup, same kind of cup they've all been drinking, but he takes a cup, lifts it up and says this cup, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And what makes this bread and wine different is not that the bread and wine were different. What makes the bread and wine different is the word of Jesus Christ that sets it apart for this holy use. This meal is extraordinary, not because the bread and wine are so extraordinary. The meal is extraordinary because of what Jesus says the bread and wine are for us. This is the Lord's Supper. He is the gracious host who invites us to his table to eat this holy bread, which he calls his body to drink holy wine, which he calls his blood. He's inviting us to share life with him and not just any life, but his life. This extraordinary meal contains bread and wine, but that's not all it contains. It also contains word and spirit which teach us that the bread and wine are the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Now, if you look on the front of your worship order, you'll know that we've reminded you that today is, for Protestants, Reformation Sunday. We often celebrate Martin Luther's act of nailing the 95 Theses on the door at Wittenberg, It was an act that sparked what we know as the Protestant Reformation. That was not Luther's intent, by the way. It's just the thing that happened. But today, instead of celebrating that event, I want us to lament the fact that that event did something else that was unexpected. Ever since the Reformation, Christians of all stripes have differed and divided over the meaning and the mode of the Lord's Supper. And this is not cause for rejoicing, but cause for lamenting. The covenant meal that Jesus gave us, the meal that should unite us, has in many ways divided us and kept us from each other. In some ways, this is understandable. The Lord's Supper is profoundly mysterious. As you listen to each group make their argument for what the Lord's Supper is and what it means, you can find nuggets of truth and grains of truth in each of them. You say, I I can kind of see where you're coming from. I want you to know that it was about 1,200 years ago, not 1,200 years ago, about 1,200 A.D., 600 years ago or so, After Christ instituted the supper, the mysterious gave way to the superstitious. And here's what happened. The cup of the Lord was taken away from the whole church. And all children were taken away from the bread and the wine. The fear was that since the bread and the wine somehow changed into the actual body and blood of Jesus... And some people, especially little children, would be dropping the body of Christ or spilling the blood of Christ on the floor and it would be desecrated. And as a result of that, those who dropped or spilled those things would be guilty of taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner and thus susceptible to judgment. And because of the superstition that was driving this, the priest thought we've got to protect people from 
themselves. And so we will give them one part of the supper, but not all. And we'll keep a lot of people away from it to avoid this situation. About a year ago, Bo and I were invited to Rockwall Presbyterian Church. Bo was asked to preach, and they invited me to come and administer the supper. They had just started taking communion every week. And in our tradition, it's necessary for a teaching elder to come and administer the Lord's Supper. And so I was glad to go. I heard Bo preach the gospel, and then it was my turn to administer the supper. The church is new to all of this, and I've done this for 20-something years. I know what I'm doing with this. We serve the, the elements, we serve the bread, and then we get to the cup, and everything is going fine. Keep in mind, this is the early morning service. And a man comes up to my left, and he hands me these trays. And I'm supposed to take, in my mind, the top tray and serve the elders. But he's trying to hand me a stack of trays. And I realize at the last second that he wants me to take three trays and not one tray. And I see a space separate between the top tray and the other two. And it's too late. I can tell what's about to happen. I'm no prophet, but I know something about gravity And we watched all three of those trays fall and hit the corner of the table and splash all over me and the table and the floor. And they made the loudest sound you can imagine in a communion service where everyone is looking up to see what's going on here. It was a terrifying moment. It was a hilarious moment in this sense that all of the elders who were standing in front of me suddenly did the Homer Simpson and disappeared back. Bo included, left his friend Hanging in the wind. And what did we do? The man who dropped the tray happens to be a surgeon. I think I dropped it. He thought he dropped it. He said, I'm so sorry. And he ran out of the sanctuary to go get paper towels. And I'm left standing there with wine all over me and on the table. It was a great moment in that we were able to remind the church that We're messy people. And this mess is indicative of the kind of people we are. And yet Christ has drawn near to commune with us. But had we been living in the medieval age, people would have thought we've desecrated the church. We've spilled the blood of Jesus on the table and the floor. And it's on the minister. What are we to do? Some of you learned in Bible class today, ever since the 1200s, Roman Catholics believe that the essence of the bread and wine change into the flesh and blood of Jesus. That is not the way it was always believed, but from the 1200s forward, that's what they believe. This view is called transubstantiation. It is the superstitious view that pushed aside the mysterious view held by the church for 1200 years. They do believe in the real presence of Christ in communion, but they believe he is present in the transformed bread and wine into the body and blood of Jesus. In the 1500s, during the Protestant Reformation, the reformers tried their best to correct this error. And ever since, Lutherans believe that Christ is present with and around and under the bread and the wine, but the elements themselves do not change. They call this sacramental union or consubstantiation. They believe in the real presence of Christ in communion with 
the bread and the wine. And then a man named Zwingli developed a view that said the bread and wine are just signs to help us remember what Jesus did for us. And some of his followers said, well, it's not just that. They are signs so that we can tell God about our faith. They are testimonies of our faith to God. If you grew up in a Baptist church or the Church of Christ tradition, more than likely this was your view or something very much like this. It's very common uh, among evangelicals in America. They do not believe in the real presence of Christ in communion, except for what you can remember and think about Jesus in that moment. There are exceptions, of course, among those traditions, but I'm giving you Zwingli's view. And then you have Presbyterians who believe that bread and wine are signs and seals of God's grace to us. They believe that Christ is present with us in the Lord's Supper by his spirit. And we call this view the mystical presence of Christ view. We agree with Calvin in the Presbyterian view of the mystical presence of Christ in the supper. That's what your elders and ministers teach and preach. We agree with what the Westminster Confession of Faith says. It puts it like this, that the Lord's Supper is a sacrament of the New Testament, wherein by giving and receiving bread and wine according to the appointment of Jesus Christ, his death is showed forth, and that they that worthily commune feed upon his body and blood by faith in Christ to their spiritual nourishment and growth in grace, and on and on it goes like this, mentioning that we do this as members of the same mystical body of Christ, because we are united to Christ and in communion with each other. I would encourage you, by the way, if you haven't done so, go to the larger catechism and look at questions 171 to 177. Just some phenomenal um, questions and answers for your meditation and uh, edification. So when we partake of the bread and wine by faith, we believe that we are really and truly participating in and communing with the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ in the Holy Spirit. Not because the bread and wine are changed, but because when we eat the bread and drink the wine, when we eat the body and the blood of Christ by faith, we are changed by the Holy Spirit who unites us to Christ and to one another in Christ. In other words, there's far more going on than meets the eye. We believe that when we take the bread and the cup in our hands, that God will remember who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. That God will remember his covenant of grace, which he made with us in Christ. We do believe, by the way, that we do this in remembrance of Jesus. We want to remember who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And that is the normal way to translate that from the Greek. Do this in remembrance of me. But there's another way to translate that, which would accurately read, do this for my memorial. Do this for my memorial. Do this so that God will remember the covenant of grace that he's made with you because of what I've done for you. So we believe that when we take the bread and the cup in our hands, we're doing more than just remembering Jesus and reflecting on stories that we've heard about Jesus. We take these signs and seals in our hands 
to remind God that the body of Christ was broken for me and the blood of Christ was shed for me. And we want God to see that. We believe that when God sees the signs and seals of the covenant which he gave us, whether we're talking about water and baptism or bread and wine and communion, that God remembers the covenant he made with us and he renews his covenant with us. And what is his covenant? His covenant is this. He says, I will put my law into your minds and write my law on your hearts. I will be your God and you shall be my people. And they shall not teach one another saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Why? For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. I know I've shared this story with you before, but I think it's worth repeating now. And maybe some of you have not heard it and maybe others have forgotten it. But indulge me for a minute. When I was a little kid, my brother and I rode a bus to a local church. We rode a joy bus to a local church here in Mesquite. And we loved it. We had great experiences with that. And we'd go to church in the mornings and often we would be sitting there. Sometimes mom and dad would show up and sometimes they wouldn't. But we would be sitting there through the service because we had to finish the service to ride the bus back home. Every week, this church took communion. And every week they passed the plates around. And every week we wondered what in the world is going on. And one week we positioned ourselves in such a way that They were going to have to hand us a plate so we could see what was in the plate and also take whatever was in there. And so a man reluctantly handed a plate down to us and we were so excited when out of nowhere, a woman came flying down the pew and snatched the plate from our hands and she said, no, that is not for you. That is not for you. And at the time, we felt a little embarrassed and we sort of laughed it off. And then later on, we wondered, why is it not for us? Why is it not for us? And I went through years where I was conflicted because on one hand, I thought, maybe it really isn't for us. Maybe I shouldn't be taking this. On the other hand, I thought, I want to know why. And so I went through a range of emotions. There was a time when I was really sad about that event. Other time, I was really angry about that event. And now... I look back on it and I think that woman might have been doing us a favor in her own clumsy way. I think she was doing us a favor. You see, I've learned a few things since then that I didn't know as a little child and even things I didn't know when I became an adult. I've learned a thing or two about the Lord's Supper and what God requires of people who draw near to take the supper. My brother and I had not yet been baptized We had not yet professed faith in Christ. We did not yet understand the gospel, the meaning and purpose of the Lord's Supper, the body and blood of Christ. We weren't members of that church. We were visitors. So there are all kinds of reasons why it was not for us, at least not yet, all kinds of reasons that I didn't understand then. And so under those circumstances at that moment, I think she was right, although it did hurt my heart a little bit and it made me feel made me feel awkward because of the way it was handled. I want to say something here briefly. Uh, Several of you have been asking the elders some really good questions and important questions along these lines. Questions about your own children and communion. 
when should they come? How should they come? How, what should we do about all of this? And I want you to know that we would be more than happy to talk to any of you about these things around a table, in your home, or in a coffee house, wherever you want to talk about these things. We'd love to talk about it any time. Very important to do so. But suffice it to say for now that when it comes to the Lord's table and the Lord's supper, you need to know that Christ is for you and Christ is for your children. He is not against you or against your children. But as with many things in life, there is an already not yet aspect to keep in mind. There's an already not yet aspect to keep in mind. For example, in the Old Testament reading before the sermon, we heard how God called the head of a household to select and slaughter a lamb for the members of his household, according to the number of mouths for his household. And so those who could eat solid food were given solid food to eat. And those who could not yet eat solid food were not given solid food to eat. But what I want you to know is that every member of the household received the benefits of the slaughtered lamb, the blood painted on the doorframe of the house, the faith and obedience of the father and those present with him. In other words, they received the benefits of the shed blood and broken body of that lamb. The same holds true for you and your children today. Even your baptized children who do not yet take communion should know that Christ is for them. And this table is for them. Maybe not yet, but for them perhaps sooner than you imagine. Your children reap the benefits of Christ by virtue of His grace and your faithful obedience to Christ on behalf of your children. We also heard in that Old Testament reading that as children grow up in the Lord and in the faith, they often start asking questions. And they often do that at a very early age. Praise God for curious and inquisitive children. I've heard of families through the years who have stifled that and shut that down, telling their kids, you're too young, don't worry about this now. But moms and dads, let me say, when your children are asking you, What does this mean? What is that bread? What is that cup? Why do we pray? What is the creed? What is the Lord's Prayer? When they're asking those things, what you should know is that your children have either come to faith in Jesus or they are on their way to coming to faith in Jesus. And that is occasion for you to fall on your knees and praise God for his mercy and grace. When your children ask these questions of God, it is a great sign of God's work in you and in your family. So parents, be encouraged by that. What Moses was telling the children of Israel to do is catechize your kids. Moms and dads, when your kids ask you, what does this mean to you? Don't make up what it means to you. Tell them what God said it means to you. That's catechesis. And you get to do the same. And Bo did a great job of putting together a little uh, children-friendly set of questions that will benefit all of you with children if you'll work through them together, just patiently and slowly as your children come to faith. What you're trying to do is not just get your kids to the table. That is not the end goal. You're bringing your kids up to be cross-bearers, disciples and followers of Jesus. As you and your children grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, we want you to involve your pastors and elders in this conversation. It's not so we can lord it over you or get up in your business, but it's because we can help you walk through some things 
And when the time comes, we can welcome your baptized children to the Lord's table at the Lord's invitation. We keep in mind that this is not our table, but it is the table of Christ. Now, others of you have been asking some other really good questions. And if I could steal just a couple of minutes of your time for this, I think it's important. Others others of you have been asking some other really important questions. You want to know if and when you can come to the table. If and when you can come to the table. So let me just say a few things here. If you have not yet been baptized with water in the triune name of God, you may not come to the table. This covenant meal is for people who bear the sign and seal of God's covenant on their life. It's for people who bear God's name. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If you do not yet believe Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you may not come to this table. This covenant meal is for people who believe the good news of Jesus Christ. If you were baptized with water in the triune name of God in a different kind of church from ours, whether Roman Catholic or Baptist or Methodist or the Church of Christ, and you've turned from your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ, you may come to this table. Christ welcomes you. If you are not yet a member of a Christian church, we urge you to commit yourself to a local church as soon as possible. Of course, we would love to see you come under the care of our session and be a part of this community. But whether you do that here or somewhere else, we urge you to commit yourself to a congregation of God's people. If you're a baptized believer, the Lord's Supper is for you. But if you have sins that you have not confessed to the Lord, or you have sins that you have not repented of, you should repent and confess as soon as possible. Do so now before you come to partake of the supper, or else you will be eating and drinking judgment on yourself. But know that if you refuse to repent and insist on keeping your sins, then this supper is not for you. If you're a baptized Christian who has doubts and fears and worries about your standing with the Lord, if you feel unworthy to come to the table, you feel like you don't belong, here's our pastoral counsel to you. You need to come to this table and eat and drink, trusting that God makes promises to love you and to take care of you in Jesus Christ. As the larger catechism says, This sacrament is appointed for the relief, for the relief even of weak and doubting Christians. It's at this table that you find relief because at this table you find Christ. Well, every Lord's Day, this table is set with bread and wine according to the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to remind you again this evening, the Lord's Supper is for you. It is for you because Christ is for you. And it is for many of you already. It is for some of you, not yet. But that doesn't take away the fact that Christ is for you. All things in due time. All things with patience and grace. But know that Christ is for you and He offers Himself to you and to your families. And He does so willingly and freely 
according to the love and mercy He has for you. Let us pray together.